center and coming in as Bloom. Hewitt-Dyke centered it. And the scores! Manny McDonald! And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Eckert, put it in the wind column! Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby! This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg All right, we are underway this hour. It is Thursday, July 13th. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe, Calgary's trusted locksmith for emergency unlocks and more. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Yeah, Steinberg and Pike along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio for the final time before our Flames Talk summer hiatus, I say, hello, Pike. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. How, uh, how are you, man? I'm doing. Stampede is, uh, I'm doing well. Stampede is treating me well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been good so far. It's good to have you. It's good to have you in the studio today. It's always good to be seen by you, Pat. Um, okay, here we are. It's July 13th. So that would mean roughly the season has been done for three months. From mid-April to mid-July. Yeah. We're about three months I cannot believe that we have been doing Flames Talk for three months into the offseason. And, and the weird thing is, I don't think we've uh, run a new thing to talk been, about. It has not been that I, much of a stretch. I, right. I, uh, I ran into a colleague of uh, mine and sort of mentioned, they're like, oh, how's the summer been? I, I, the, off the top of my head, I'm like, oh, it's been like seven press conferences so far. Between, I think between uh, locker cleanout day, if you count that as number one, it's just sort of been a very eventful off season and you know it's we're in the anniversary of uh, the beginning of another eventful off season but i can't think of a, a more tumultuous eventful 12 to 24 month period yeah. in franchise history than we've had now and i don't think we're done yet and yet on july 13th with all of that being true and i agree completely there's really only been one significant roster move you know, I, Lucic leaves, Lewis leaves, Matthew Phillips leaves. But really, there's been one significant change on the roster. Yeah. And that's the Tyler Toffoli trade. Toffoli to New Jersey for Sharon Govich in a third-round pick that eventually turned into uh, Suniev. And that's the, that's the one decision or the one roster move that has really made waves for the Calgary Flames so far. So Tyler Toffoli is now with the New Jersey Devils. That's how I want to kick off this hour. Means last year's leading scorer is gone. They they now don't have their number one scorer from last year, 70 plus points. He had 73 last year with the Calgary Flames, which leaves a void, leaves a big hole. And he was also one of very few right shot right wingers that played for the team last year. In fact, right shot players, period. Yeah. I mean, when you count in last year, Brett Ritchie was here, Trevor Lewis was here. So there were a couple more right shots, Lindholm, Dewar, and, and of course, to Foley. They, with Lewis leaving, with Richie being traded, um, with Toffoli being gone, it leaves Lindholm and Dewar as your regular right shot forwards right now. So I ask you, who has the best chance of taking advantage of an opportunity here, Pike? Who's got the best chance of jumping in to Tyler Toffoli's top line right wing role that? He filled very admirably last year and had a career year in the process. Who's who is your number one candidate to be Tyler Toffoli's replacement? Well, let's let's preface this with 
We're assuming that A, no further moves are made, which is a fool's errand because m- more moves will almost Very definitely true. be made. Yep. So we just put it out there, so we jinxed it. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau, as the highest paid left wing, we're defaulting to him being playing the left side. Yeah, we don't need to see Jonathan on the right side again. We've, we've been we, there and done We that. saw it for three months. We don't need to see more of it. Yep. So, yeah, with, with that, with that uh, preamble out of the way, there's a lot of potential guys because if you look at almost everyone who plays the wing not named uh, Jonathan Huberdeau, almost everyone can play both sides. You know, we've seen Blake Coleman. He's usually on the right, but he's played the left when he needs to. Uh, we've seen Dylan Dubé play all three forward positions. Sharon Govich played both sides with the regularity in New Jersey. We've seen Andrew Mangiapane do the same thing, play both sides, depending on the needs of the guys he's playing with. And I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. I would default to Andrew Mangiapane simply because I think of the guys they have on their roster, if you want, if you had to replace Tyler Toffoli with one player and, and you know roll the dice on one human being be able to up their game, I think Mangiapane is the guy I would have the most confidence in. But I don't think it's a guarantee because it's, it's a tall order. It's a tough gig because, you know, Mangiapane is a very good player, but Toffoli's style just seemed to click really well with the guys he's playing with last year. And he's just, yeah. he's a guy, he's not quite automatic uh, with his shot, but he was pretty close to it. And he was one of those guys that they put out there, both sides of special teams. They put him out there regularly if they needed a goal, up a goal, down a goal, pretty much. If you need, if you need the puck to go in the right direction, Toffoli was out there. Yep. And you take that away, and everybody sort of jumps up a slot in terms of wingers. You're potentially going to have some guys needing to spend some time growing into larger roles. So there's a few names that I'll I'll throw out there as as potential fits as Calgary's top line right winger. Uh, and and the the easiest one to start with is the guy that came back in the trade. You mentioned that Sharon Govich has the ability to play all three forward positions. He is a left shot. But he's played the right side before. And if we're assuming that Huberto is this team's number one left winger, even if Elias Lindholm isn't their number one center, but assuming that Huberto is their number one left winger, which we should assume he better be, <laughs> the, the idea of Sharon Govich on his other side with a left shot, so playing on his off wing, actually is somewhat intriguing to me because yeah. we know Sharon Govich, one of the best things that he possesses in his arsenal is his shot, and having a guy like Huberto be able to feed him passes and offensively on his off wing where you've got a little bit more of a direct line to the net and a direct line to good shooting areas. That actually really intrigues me with Sharon Govich with some other left shots as well, whether it's a Dubé or a, or, or a Manjapani. I just wonder about, okay, we know that Huberto on his off wing, not great, but what about another guy on their off wing with Huberto on the left? And that's why I bring Sharon Govich's name up first. Yeah. And, and to be blunt, that's sort of, I think if you're the Flames and you're making a trade and you're going, oh, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, if you look at sort of how Sharon Govich was used in New Jersey, some of his best hockey last year was playing a lot in his off wing. He played, he, he, his whole thing last year was, you know, the the the, the playbook, uh, the scouting book on, on uh, Sharon Govich was essentially, well, he's not a play driver. He's not the guy who's going to be, you know, driving play or creating everything on his line. That's just not how he's wired right now. But he's a really good complimentary player, and you know we we use this this uh, the tagline in in scouting circles, you know, complimentary player. 
it's not meant to be derogatory. The idea is if you're not the best guy on your team, can you play with the best guys? Can you be the third? Can you be the Dean McCammond on your line and basically be the guy that benefits from the strong work the other two guys are doing? And, you know, in Flames history, I, I'm going to pick on Dean McCammon, but Dean McCammon was simply the guy who was around when Conroy and, and Aginla were doing their thing. And he was really good at it mm-hmm. because he managed to, he figured out what that what he needed to do at any given point. And Sharon Govich, when he's playing with Bratt, when he's playing with Hughes, when he's playing with, you know, he didn't play very much once Meyer got there. But before Meyer got there, his role was sort of, hey, Sharon Govich, you're our third guy on a, on a good line. And your job is to be the finisher, to be the the third guy in, and to do what you need to do to make sure these guys are in opportunity, opportunity, good opportunity situations. And it really works. And I think you know if you're the Flames, the Flames data team did a deep, deep, deep dive on Sharon Gobich before they traded for him. And I imagine they probably see that kind of potential in him because that's how good he was his first, the last two years, especially in New Jersey before Timo Meyer got there. He was one of those guys that he might not have been the driver, but he was very much holding his own and keeping up with the New Jersey Devils' best players. I, I'm really interested in that player, and I am really interested in, in the potential of him getting more of a high-leverage spot than he got last year in New Jersey, to your point. Okay, what about... What about Manjapani or Dubé? What about one of those two guys playing their right side? Because both have done it before. Dubé yep. has played. I I don't think Dubé's played defense or or goaltender, but like it feels like he's played every position on this team over the last number correct, of years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like when when Manjapani was playing with uh, with Backlund and uh, and Kachuk, he was primarily on the right side. Yes, when that line was together, yes, because uh, Matthew was still on the left side. He didn't move yeah. to the right until he was playing with Lindholm and and Gaudreau last year. Yeah, so I mean, playing high leverage minutes, playing against the the league's best players, playing against you know really tough situations. Mangiapane's done that on a good line on his off wing, and he was. You can make an argument that you know he was again the beneficiary of some really nice two you know 200 foot work done by the other two guys in this line he wasn't a slouch by any means but i think if you're looking if you were looking at one guy on that line who is sort of the the finisher that would be Manjipani. and i think that if you're looking at skill sets that could be you know create complementarities within the flames forward group you know Manjipani might have the best ability to consistently bury chances it didn't happen for him last year but it didn't happen for a lot of guys last year. Yeah. It's like the whole team, their sticks were cursed or something. But in terms of shot generation and chance generation and high quality hot shot and chance generation, Manjipani just has the ability to sort of find that quiet ice. Well, and we uh, we talked about this a lot on Wednesday's show about guys who should, could have bounce back years next year. Andrew Manjipani's probably should be like his... His shooting percentage probably hovers career around, or or will when it's all said and done, it feels like will hover around 13, 14, 15%, somewhere in that range. Last year, he was at nine. And so he took the second most amount of shots in his NHL career last year at 182. I think he had 185 the year before. I think there's more shots from Manjapani. I think he's got the ability to fire it more. And if he returns after having his shooting percentage from one year to the next cut in half, if he returns to something around his average, 
if he's a 14% shooter? Because I think he's going to be one of those guys who is just an above-average finisher in this league. To your point, he's a finisher. He's got a very accurate shot. If all of a sudden we can see him get to 200 or 205 shots next year and shooting percentage returns to where it should be, like you're probably talking about between 25 and 30 goals for Manjapati. That's what I believe yeah. that he can do. I think he's a 35 guy goal, a 35 goal guy. No, not not. It's probably not what we see from him on a regular basis. But 25 yeah. to 30, I think that's fair. And and I especially he, in a position like we're talking about here. And to your point, he's one of those guys that when I think about the biggest missed opportunities of the 22, 23 Flames, I look at the personnel they put out in the power play and go, I have no idea how that group of guys weren't more dangerous. And I think having Mark Savard as uh, the guy running the show on the power play is going to be very good for the Flames because I think he comes in with sort of a, a very modern viewpoint as to how a power play should be run. And if I'm one of those guys who's potentially going to be on that power play, especially if I'm one of those guys that are sort of you know still on the on the upslope of my career, like Majipani, like Dubé, Sharon Govich, I think is going to get power play time. If you're one of those guys, if you're you know the, hockey's a game of confidence, it's a game of streaks. It's a you know if if you think that you can beat a goalie ninety percent of the time, mm-hmm. it's going to help you. The the power play unfortunately was something at times last year that seemed to let the air out of the balloon, and so you had a lot of guys that needed confidence at five on five not get it on the power play, and then. It just didn't come. It didn't come together for them. But if you have a good power play, and especially if you're one of these guys early in the year, if you're a Sharon Govich, Dubé, Majipani, maybe one of these other guys we'll talk about in a bit, if you're in the first time in your career, top unit guy, and you're on a power play that gets cooking early, that's going to bleed through to your to your five on five play. That's going to bleed through to your penalty killing. It's going to make you a more confident player. And I think Majipani, especially, he's one of those guys that. If he can get the puck and have a little bit of space around the blue paint, he can do really good things. We saw him do it two years ago. And I think that's one of the, the, the power play alone, I think, is one of the things that I look at as a, a big potential boost for a lot of guys next season. I do. I, I also think a guy like Dubé would be interesting. There's, uh, you know, somebody brought this up earlier in the week. You know, Dubé has a profile. I think they're different players, but profiles in similar ways to, to Sam Bennett. Uh, in yep. that they they play a very straight ahead, straightforward, straight lines game. Good on the four check. Uh, that's that's part of what makes Dubé a really good hockey player. And he's played his off wing before. He's comfortable playing the right side. You now all of a sudden, if Lindholm stays, or if Lindholm's on the team next year with or without contract, and Huberdeau's his left wing. A guy like Dubé on the right side there might be somewhat interesting as well because there's a good puck retrieval guy. There's a guy who can push the pace because neither Huberto or Lindholm are poor skaters, but they you don't think about high pace like hot like it's it's not a speedy game that they play. It's more of an IQ game that they play. So yeah. having having some speed and that's again one of Dylan's primary attributes. I think that that would be a good fit too. And and I think especially with Dylan you know, still figuring himself out physically, still maturing physically. I used to think back to that. Remember that uh, the Dallas series in the bubble yep. where he there was a couple a couple goals he scored when he was just sort of on his own on the on his off wing and went, "I'm going to score on the I'm going to go to the net now." And he just sort of bowled over Dallas defenders. And Dallas, both then and now, has a pretty good defense. It's not exactly a bunch of guys you can bowl over with ease. I think Dubé has the ability to be to really utilize that north-south play and how hard-nosed he can be at times. And really, you know, if he can if he can find a way to bring that snarl and really bring it with consistency, 
that's an element I think he brings to the the forward group, the top nine forward group in particular, mm-hmm. that not a lot of guys have. And that's something that you can basically mix and match into any line, and it'll help elevate them. So, let me throw one more at you. I am very curious as to where you would be on the potential of this guy getting the opportunity. We're talking about how they don't have every guy that we just mentioned would be playing their off wing as a left shot. You know who does have a right shot, and you know who does profile as a top six winger in his NHL career? Matt Coronado. And I've thrown this out there. I threw it out earlier this week to, to Vickers and Derek Wills. What about you? Like, is that putting too much pressure on Matt Coronado, asking him to be their top or one of their top two right wingers next year. Is, is that too much pressure to put on him? I think on October 11th, maybe he's he's when I talk about the power play, when I think about the power play, this is where I like, I think if Coronado starts the, the season on this team, I think five on five, he's your third line guy. Just so that way you can control how he's used a bit and sort of ease him in. And the nice thing is they have sort of a, a, a home-heavy schedule early on. So you can you can sort of control his usage and sort of build him up. But especially, you know, you mentioned they do not have basically any right shots amongst their forward group. And unless Walker Doerr, bless his heart, is going to get regular five on regular power play time, if you're Coronado, you might be in, you know, you you might be on the top unit as a right shot by default. And if you're trying to build up a guy who's bread and butter at the USHL level, at the collegiate level, and at times at the world championships was key clutch goal scorer. If you're trying to ease him into it, you're trying to build him up, stick him on the power play, stick him on the power play, put him at the top unit. And especially, I think this is something they're going to do a lot in preseason. What do you have in him? Can he, can he be a guy that can consistently move the needle offensively? And he can, if he can consistently move the needle offensively against NHL caliber opposition, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's a guy in game one that you start off and say, hello, 20 year old with one NHL game played, you're a top line right winger. But I also think if he's a guy that really gets cooking on the power play early on and he feels 10 feet tall and his teammates have confidence in him, he could be a guy that finds his way there really quickly because in addition to just his handedness, you know, there's few guys in the organization that have his ability to put the biscuit in the basket as consistently and as dynamically as he can. And, you know, when the name of the game is who scores more goals than the other team, you know, I don't think you can afford to be particularly choosy among, you know, about who gets the chances to do it. Right. Um, any chance? Any chance? Uh, Sam Hunzik pushes for a, like any chance that he gets a nine-game look in the early stages of this season. I think it depends on preseason. I I think I think the challenge for them is you know you want him to be his best self by year one or year two of his ELC, and so you know I think he gets signed. I'd be shocked if I would expect him and Lipinski because of their late birthdays to be signed before Christmas simply because entry level slide. Yeah, like it's it's a it's beneficial to everyone for them to do that and you know if you're the player maybe you're When agent. do you have to when, when do you have to sign it after September something? Um they basically need to sign between now and December 31st. Right? Yeah, it's basically it's basically depend it's uh it's it's the CBA rates it based on when how old you are on September 15th determines the age you are when you sign. Right. And then after you get past after you get past the new year, it becomes 
what the the age you are on that September fifteenth. So it's right. It's a weird. It's it's a very weird way of doing it. But essentially, if if the Flames sign Hanzik and Lipinski before the end of the calendar year, uh, potentially their entry level deals could be four year entry level deals. Yep. And you know. If you're if you're one of those two guys, especially you know the the Flames did that with Emil Poirier, they did it with Rasmus Anderson, they did it with uh, a lot of guys. Uh, Connor Zary is the most recent example. If you're their agent, you go well, maybe you want to kick in a little bit more performance bonuses, and you know performance bonuses. If you're the NHL team, you only pay them if they if they get them. Like if 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 you're giving someone an extra hundred k in performance bonuses, and they do enough to earn a hundred k in performance bonuses more. I'm sure you're not going to be too sad about giving it to them. Yeah. So I think I think there's a, a path to them easily getting signed. But I think uh, for Hanzik, you know, he's still pretty lean. He's still pretty raw. And I think for for him, I think you give him a long preseason look and then send him down to the Giants and just let him, you know, basically run rough shot over the WHL and then see, see how he's feeling in a year. Let's read some texts at nine sixty nine sixty. This says Sharon Govich could be like Camilleri. That'd be, uh, that would be really good for the Flames. This reads, I like uh, Yegor's leadership qualities. After a good start last year, but a disappointing finish, and now at the age of 25, I believe in this young man's character. Um, I think Yegor will have a huge year for the Flames. Uh, this says, should the Flames try to acquire Duclair from San Jose? Don't you think the Sharks got him to use as a trade chip? I just wonder if they use him as a trade chip closer to the deadline. Yeah. I mean, it's San Jose. I'm not going to put anything past them because I think they're at the point now where they want to accumulate assets. But uh, I think they're going to have a lot of suitors for him if he's available midseason. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he's a guy that they use to help play games and ice a full roster and then maybe trade closer to the deadline if they are where they end up, yeah. where, where we well, think they're going to end the, up let's, being. Let's, the Sharks are basically early rebuild flames where remember when, when Bradford living signed a bunch of guys that were just there to fill out the roster I because do. they had a bunch of 20, 21 year olds. That they weren't sure if they were NHL ready yet. And San Jose is in that same situation. They have exactly. a bunch of really promising young players that they're not sure about yet. So do Claire's insurance. Uh, this says at one point last year, Dubé had seven points in two games playing with Toffoli and Lindholm, then got demoted to the fourth line by the head coach. Why not try Dylan with Huberto and Lindholm? That comes from Dylan in Revy. I agree. I, I never understood why Dubé was put on the fourth line. It was one of the most head. And, and I think, I, I think it, uh, I don't think it's D- Dylan is straight up team player. Absolutely. He'll do what he's asked to make sure the team wins and, and he'll do it without saying anything. But I think that I don't think that that sat well necessarily when he got demoted now, who, to fourth line center. After those two games, who got that spot uh, that Dubé had? Because I can't remember. I don't remember either. I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to forget last I, season. I just remember being confused a lot last year. Yeah. Um. Really, the only thing the Flames, before we uh, before we bring in Ryan Dietrich, another Ryan, um, Flames really, outside of Hannafin, Lindholm, all those things that we know, but those are kind of floating timelines right now. The only thing the Flames have to get done, they don't have any ARB cases, which means they won't have access to the second buyout window. So really, the only thing they still have to figure out here, they don't have contracts to negotiate. They they just need to sign an AHL head coach, right? Yeah, and uh, I think uh, on Flames Talk earlier this week, you guys talked with Brad Pascal, and I think his phrasing was both A, the process is ongoing, and B, they're expect they're hoping to have a recommendation in a week or so. And... 
So that base that more or less aligns with what Craig Conroy told us at the end of development camp week or two in order to get somebody. So, you know, uh, there's at this point of the season, that's sort of where things are. It's a lot of, you know, hockey clubs figuring out their coaching staffs, uh, you know, the the Leafs just filled out their AHL staff. The yep. Islanders just filled out their staff. I think the 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 Wranglers might be the last AHL team. There are one or two teams left, including the Wranglers, to to fill out their AHL t- uh, teams coaching staff. And then you know, then it's a lot of jockeying to figure out uh, who's coming to training camp and what the Penticton roster looks like. And then before you know it, we'll be back at it. Yeah, I know. Getting there. There's like a single tear rolling down past cheek right no, now. No, I got a four-week vacation coming. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, summer hiatus is uh, just a day away for me. He is Ryan Pike. My name is Pat Steinberg. This hour of Flames Talk coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. What basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. You visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This hour rolls on. Let's uh, welcome in Ryan Dietrich from CalgaryFlames.com on this uh, Thursday Flames Talk. Ryan Pike, Ryan Leslie, and now Ryan Dietrich of CalgaryFlames.com. I did, I, not by design, and yet here we are. Lots of Ryans. Hello, Dietz. How are we doing? I'm outstanding. And you know, what's funny. I, I didn't know if this many Ryans was actually allowed. This feels like the no homers club and the stone cutters, but uh, happy to be here. Thanks. <laughs> good, that's a good reference. I like that. Pike liked it too. Pike's a Simpsons nerd too. So he, uh, he liked that quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Ryan Dietrich with us, CalgaryFlames.com on the Atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline. And I just wanted to, to pick your brain on a few things. Cause First of all, I think it's uh, you, you. We get a ton of access as the radio rights holder, uh, radio rights holders, and and the job that Peter Hamlin's team does is is always so good. They're always so good to us, and and we love the access that we get. And then there's the digital team at the Flames who who get unprecedented access because you're with the team. And I always like to pick your brain and and do some behind the scenes stuff and and uh, get pull back the curtain a little bit on something. So you uh, first of all, as we do. That. Here we are in the midst of the 2023 Calgary Stampede. Nazem Kadri's in town. Blake Coleman's in town. You've had an opportunity to uh, chat with both guys over the last couple of days, right? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, I actually just got off the phone with uh, Blake Coleman now, so I didn't get to actually see him in person, but uh, he was in town for a bachelor party and uh, seems like he was able to cram a lot into a 72-hour period, so that's great. You love when the guys are sort of incorporating themselves into the, the city. And, and I think what excites me about it is both with Nas and Blake Coleman, that was both their first time ever taking part in the stampede. And for a guy like Coleman, Texas kid, uh, country roots, you could get, you could say, you know, I just was a little bit surprised, I guess, but uh, he really seemed to love it. And, you know, I'll kind of start with, with, with Nas the other day, he came in, you guys were there at uh, Berkey's event and, 
Um, you know, that's a guy who really uh, came dressed for the occasion. He had the hat on, the Alan Jackson tee. He had the cowboy boots going. So he was ready to go. And, uh, yeah, just some some really great conversations with the guys. It's always nice to see them at this time of year, too, because, uh, you know, their guard's down a little bit. You can yep. talk a little bit more casually and freely about their off seasons and uh, just kind of get a little bit of an inside perspective on where their head's at. Because, you know, as you guys were talking about right before I came on here, uh, frustrating season, no question about it, but there's definitely some excitement building right now. It, uh, we, we talked to Nazem yesterday on, on Wednesday's show, and you, you talked to him on Tuesday. He, he does seem... He does seem fire, pretty fired up for the year ahead, and and I, I think that the frustrations of last year weighed on him quite a bit. I think that he wore that at, at different times last year fairly noticeably, but he when when he spoke with us, definitely with what I read from you at CalgaryFlames.com, he seems he seems pretty fired up and ready to go. He does, and and you know what? I think there this kind of relates to the conversation I just had with Blake too, unprompted. Ryan Huska's name is getting brought up. And for, you know, a guy like Nazem Kadri last year, that was his first season under a Ryan Huska. You know, he wasn't leading the staff, but part of the staff. And mm-hmm. I think he got to know him quite well over that short period of time. And the amount of respect that these guys have for this man as a head coach, we've gone through the gamut of what makes him a good candidate and why he's going to be such a good fit for this team. Excellent communicator, knows how to motivate guys, has a way of explaining the game that, that, you know, I'm not going to say other coaches maybe don't have, but he just has a, a modernized way of going about it. And I think when you talk to some of the key offensive drivers on this team, we know Nazem Kadri is going to be one of them next season. You love to hear about their excitement when it comes to the offensive side of the game. They know that speed, youth, um, attacking in a more aggressive way is going to make them successful. And I think as we've seen in, in Kadri's case, going back a couple of years ago with the Colorado Avalanche, that's exactly what helps him thrive as an individual as well. So, Sure, there's the the hockey side of it, which you look at what they've been able to build off the ice over the course of this off season. Um, but you take in some of the frustration they felt last year, and I think everybody just feels a little bit lighter. There's definitely a rejuvenation in, in talking to them, and you know, uh, I think if some of them had their way, we'd be heading to training camp in just a few weeks here. The uh, the Coleman stuffs the Coleman stuff is interesting because you've uh, you've been around him a lot, and and he's he's one of those guys that whether he he's always he's always going to deliver what he's delivering in a professional manner in a he's I, I just think he's one of the best ambassadors the Flames have for the organization right now, just in terms of when he's pissed off. He's still you know he's upset. You can tell how upset he is. I can't Deets, I can't tell you how many times last year after a tough loss at the dome or a tough loss on the road, I'd find out oh Blake Coleman standing by for the post game interview. I'm like, Oh, I gotta do Blake again. Like I felt so bad. It was always Blake. Um even even after when they were eliminated in game eighty one, it was Blake who was I was like Geez, it's just the the trend continues, but I think it's by design because you know that when he's speaking to fans, he's always going to deliver it in a very professional manner, in a very uh, articulate manner, and he's such a a good ambassador. And yet, you know, listening to him when he uh, joined the boys on Thursday morning on the big show, uh, reading some of the other stuff that I've read from him throughout the year, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. But again, like... uh, that guy, that guy always speaks really well. He's always positive and upbeat, but how positive and upbeat is he for what's coming and, and what this season could have in store? I think that's a good point, Pat, because 
when we talk about, I mean, at the end of the day, it's July 13th, right? So <laughs> there's 32 teams out there that are feeling positive about how the fall is going to sure. look. But um, I think where I have a little bit of a unique perspective is that I've been in this league now working for clubs for 15 years. I've been on teams that have been on the cusp of winning the Stanley Cup. And I've also been on teams that have picked first overall for three consecutive seasons. So when you're riding that wave, you definitely run the gamut of emotions. And uh, with this team, I'm not saying here that they're being positive simply for the sake of being positive. I'm walking into the Saddledome every day and getting a sense of where their heads are at. And this is a truly upbeat atmosphere about where they're at. And, and partially, obviously, that speaks to some of the, the you know, rough seas that they endured last season. But I think you bring in some quality people like Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska, as we talked about, Blake Coleman being uh, such a leader for this team. And in addition to the way he talks with us, he has his fingers on the pulse of that dressing room. You know, there's a very, there's an authenticity to what I'm hearing right now. And I know Ryan Leslie talked about some uncertainty being part of the equation as well. It is, but I think that applies to a lot of teams out there and you know if you're making change and you see the vision that's coming forward here this isn't just you know a team that says well we made these changes so we're automatically going to be better this is a team and a group of individuals that have bought into the vision and can see where they might be able to go next year and and for me when I go to work every day and I'm lucky to do that inside the saddle dome uh, it gets me pretty fired up too because when you see your coworkers, the ones especially that have such an impact on the on-ice product feeling that way it reverberates throughout the organization. Uh, we're chatting with Ryan Dietrich of CalgaryFlames.com on this hour of Flames Talk, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and of course live here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Um, tell us about you. We were we were both down there, um, and it was a busy week in Nashville at the awards first, and then the draft. The Flames had a player up for an award, and Michael Backlund, he ends up winning the uh, King Clancy Memorial Trophy, and then obviously the draft. Uh, just, uh, just the... First time that I'd ever experienced it. That was, I think, the 14th draft that I had the privilege of being able to cover. And first time that the awards had been in the same city. I'm just curious as to your... I thought it was well done. I thought it was good to have everything in one spot go from awards right into draft. I thought from a coverage standpoint, what we could deliver to our listeners, our downloaders back here in Calgary, I thought it was really good the way that it all flowed and the type of content you could just keep pounding out. What about for you? What did you uh, What did you make of everything in one spot? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying there. I mean, we've been in these situations before. And, you know, not even just having the awards in the draft in the same place, but the the draft location when it comes to, you know, prospect availability and, you know, some of the executives that we talked to with the Flames. I remember in past years how you would go to, oh, man, what's a good example? I mean, we had drafts in Chicago, for example, and I remember you'd have to drive across town to get to one thing and then across town to the other. We know that Nashville is such a centralized party town. Uh, the rink is kitty corner to some of the best bars in the world. Um, which, you know, I didn't partake in. Me neither. Uh, some people did. No, nope, me neither. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, not, I, not even no, once. We were recording podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Time for, for any of that. So, um, But I thought it was great. And you know what? Such an easy sell for the players, too. Um, you're right. We got to catch up a little bit with Michael Backlund, uh, you know, in advance of winning the King Clancy. It was just an amazing experience. Um, if you haven't seen it yet uh, on Flames TV, we, we took him to one of the uh, boot shops on Broadway, had him and his wife Frida shopping for some uh, – red carpet attire we were calling it but 
you know, just uh, for a guy like Bax, who's, um, I wouldn't say he's the most country guy out there. Uh, he really embraced uh, the whole vibe around there. And, you know, just running into NHLers and some of the, the past guys that I've worked with, when you bring everybody together in an environment like that, you know, speaking of positivity, this just gets everybody on the same page and I think really believes in, uh, you know, speaking of visions, what the NHL is putting forth. Because to me, that was one of the uh, highest quality, top-notch events I've ever been a part of in this league. And yeah. it's great to see us trending in that direction because I think there have been some in the past that felt a little bit lower scale, but this was not that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really well-done week. And, and I hope that that, I mean, next year it will be because it's Vegas and, and Vegas had been the home of the awards for quite some time prior to COVID kicking in. Um, but I hope that that is kind of the norm going forward. So Vegas gets the draft next year. Uh, it hasn't officially been announced, I don't think, but uh, we know that that's where it's going. And and who knows? Maybe maybe next year, the the year after, maybe it's in Toronto or maybe it's in Edmonton or where. Maybe maybe it's Tampa. Who knows? But you just I, I think that model is one that ends up working. So I hope they continue doing that all in one spot. Um, the Backlund Backlund winning was it was pretty neat. It was. Uh, yeah, we we've both been around Michael a lot. Just you could tell how much that meant to him, and you could tell that that was a pretty special seventy-two hours that he was in Nashville for. It was he was jet lagged, he was tired, like he was dragging at times, but it it <laughs> sure did feel like uh, it was all worth it coming in and getting that award. Well, I don't know about you, Pat, but we were down in the bowels there, the rink, and when his name was announced, I you know. Gave a little fist pump and well, I, so did I. I gave a little knock on the table. You know, I I I, I broke the rules. I, I cheered in the press box a little bit. <laughs> little tear rolling down the cheek too. I mean, I I'm, I can admit it. It was it was great. I mean, like that's the thing that I think everybody needs to understand. And not that Michael has you know hidden that from Flames fans over the years, but what you see with him is what you get. And when we go out there and we you know quote unquote pump his tires with some of the charitable work he does, um, ALS Society parachutes for pets, kids sport, you know, kids cancer care, it goes on and on. This is a guy that cares so deeply about that. And when he won that award, you could tell that it, it meant a lot to him personally, because obviously, you know, him and Frida have invested so much of their life to those causes. But um, just talking to him afterward, you could tell what meant the most to him is that he knew back home in Calgary, there were all those lives that he touched doing the exact same thing. They were doing fist pumping. They had the tears rolling down their cheeks. I mean, that is what it's all about. And when Michael is investing his time and doing all that and getting the recognition for it on a league scale, I mean, it it just couldn't have happened to a better guy because it's, uh, you know, blood, sweat, tears, hours. This guy is so authentic. And, I mean, he is one of the all-time great flames. There's no question about that purely for his off-ice work. Um. What uh, what were your imp- you, you're one of the few people that have had the opportunity um, to and I and I fully understand why this is not a criticism at all I understand that uh, Igor Sharangovich uh, you know the the idea of doing a live radio interview he doesn't feel a hundred percent comfortable on the English side to be doing that so you know wasn't we didn't didn't necessarily want to do that after uh, he was acquired from the New Jersey Devils but you spoke to him on the phone uh, give us your impressions of of his excitement level and and now joining his new team yeah not just excited but you can tell this is a guy that has something to prove i mean going through what he went through last year uh kind of bumped down the depth chart became a healthy scratch in the playoffs i just think it's important for flames fans to know that that this isn't a knock on this guy's skill set or the potential that he has he just fell out of favor there but you know he's not very far removed from scoring 24 goals in this league he can do it again 
he was basically telling me on the phone, you know, he was not only appreciative for the opportunity that the Flames are going to provide here, but he was telling me, and, you know, I'm going to make this worth their while. I'm going to come into camp and show everybody why I'm this guy to prove other people wrong. So, you know, you're talking about attitudes going into a new season. That's what you need. And quite frankly, that's the attitude the Flames need from 20 other guys as well. And if you get a locker room full of that type of mindset, you know, maybe good things can happen. I mean, we obviously know it's July. We're in the talk stage. And, you know, when it comes time, two months from now, that's the show me stage. But everything we're hearing right now and from Sharon Govich, I like that skill set. I think he's going to fit in well. I think he's going to get a tremendous opportunity, not only five on five, but on the power play. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to see what this player brings to the table because excitement, piss and vinegar, he's ready to go. Uh, And before we, uh, before we let you go, Dietz, uh, Ryan Dietrich with us from CalgaryFames.com here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, the, what goes on? I've always wanted to, I, I always enjoy doing this. I've asked Tori this before. Uh, I've, I, I, I've, I've even interviewed Sean Kelso about this before. Um, the outstanding PR man with the Calgary Flames, who I believe right now is in Greece. Um, what, what goes on that we don't see after a guy gets drafted? So take us back to the Wednesday first round. Flames take Sam Hanzek, 16th overall. And then it turns into a whirlwind. And by the time by the time Sam comes and sits down with me back on the draft floor, his head has spun out of his neck and he's like he's seeing stars because he's gone through so many different things. But you're kind of right there at times along for the ride. So what happens after a guy gets drafted? Yeah, we call it the gauntlet, and it seems to have expanded over the years, actually. This this draft in particular because I know you were saying you were waiting longer than, than usual. That's because the amount of stations that he had to go through the back was, I don't know, it seems to have multiplied over the years. But so from what I understand, because I don't see him right away, but he goes right off the floor. He does his live TV interviews. So he would have done Sportsnet, NHL Network, and then he comes back to our area. And uh, this year I was lucky enough to, to grab him for two and a half minutes, do a quick interview, get that instantaneous reaction, which was, which was really great. Um, and, and from there, he basically goes into the, the back rooms of the arena and he hits up all these different stations, kind of like sports day in elementary school. He's got to do photos with getting images. He has to get these, you know, official headshots taken. Um, he did a social media booth with the NHL and, you know, it goes on and on. And, you know, it's really great because a lot of the material that's captured turns into ultimately a time capsule and some life keepsakes for these guys. A um, little bit exhausting for them, too. You, you know, they're shaking hands, hearing all sorts of names, and uh, I'm sure by the end of the night he didn't remember which way was up. But um, after he gets through all that and the interviews are done, probably the most satisfying part of the evening is he gets brought up to the suite area, which is where, you know, Flames executives were. Um, there's food, there's drinks, there's an opportunity to unwind and, and sort of celebrate. So that's kind of their first opportunity to unwind and, you know, uh, see their family, you know, take some photos, get a few hugs. And uh, for me, that's what it's all about because it all sort of culminates to that moment. And you can sort of see some of the stress come out of them. Yeah. A big deep breath for them. No question. Uh, good stuff, man. Uh, so you, the, uh, that Blake Coleman piece, I assume, will be uh, ready for consumption uh, maybe sometime on Friday? You are correct. I'm glad you didn't say tonight. You're putting a lot. You're you're going to put pressure on me, but no, I'll be working on it tonight. It'll be ready tomorrow morning. And uh, Blake sent me uh, a couple of photos as well. So um, some really cool comments in there about uh, you know his trip here to Stampede. Said it was a top five life experience. And and by the way, just. 
just to finish up here. Yeah. Blake is also going to be coming back up, I believe, next week. He's checking out Kelowna, too. So him and his wife, Jordan, haven't experienced that. So, you know, talking about guys that are investing their time and, uh, you know, becoming uh, Canadians, they're really sort of digging into all that makes this country and this uh, region pretty great. That's awesome. Uh, thanks, Dietz. Have a good rest of your week, my friend. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. It's Ryan Dietrich. He is uh, on Twitter. It is uh, very easy to find him at Ryan Dietrich. It's uh, D-I-T-T-R-I-C-K, Ryan Dietrich on Twitter. Uh, and from CalgaryFlames.com, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. As uh, we start to wrap up this hour, I uh, do want to say thanks to Ryan Pike all year long. As Flames Talk goes on hiatus after Friday's show, we got Logan and Wes with us on Friday's program and then Flames Talk is off for a good chunk of time. Uh, won't be back until sometime in August, like uh, mid-August-ish is when Flames Talk will return. So just wanted to say, as we uh, said thanks to Aaron Vickers for all of his contributions on Wednesday. Thanks to the Pikester. Thanks to Ryan all year long for uh, being along for the riding, uh, riding shotgun with us here on Flames Talk. Appreciated it, buddy. Yeah, and you know, thanks uh, to to you and uh, Art and basically all, all the, the army of very talented people behind the scenes here at the station that keep things running like a tight ship. Uh, they they made it very easy for someone that knows very little about radio to sound like he knows what he's doing. Yep, did a hell of a job, my friend. He's on Twitter, Ryan Pike at Ryan and Pike. Uh, thanks to Garrett and Shan for making sure this hour runs smoothly. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe, Calgary's trusted locksmith for emergency unlocks and more. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.